Hey, you're listening to Burst Your Bubble. I'm Josh, and I've got Kyler here with me. We're here to bring you the sharpest sports takes. Today, we have Juan Guerrero from Kiklahoma. This man has been to every single Thunder home game. Then we have a WrestleMania 36 recap and an NBA 2K tournament update. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Burst Your Bubble. Remember to rate, review, and continue to share us with your friends or literally anyone you know. Thanks for listening, and remember, no hard feelings because more than likely, one of us will burst your bubble. Kyler, I know how much we both have loved what Anchor has given us as a podcasting platform. Ladies and gents, if you haven't heard of Anchor yet, you're missing out. Most importantly, it's free. Anchor gives you the ability to edit and upload your podcast directly from your phone to get anywhere you can get your podcast. Apple Music, Spotify, it'll be there. You can make money from your podcast with minimum listeners. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Well, Kyler, did you uh, keep peeing this weekend? Josh, you know we did. We're going a little bit stir-crazy, but, you know, we're doing our part. We're flattening the curve. Um, What about you, Josh? Did you try and stay in as much as you can? Well, I'm glad to hear that she didn't escape on you this weekend. But, uh, yeah, I stayed in as much as I could. Friday night, I had to write a 10-page paper that I wrote in about three hours, so kudos to me. And then yesterday, didn't do a whole lot, watched a lot of TV, uh, did a couple little items on the honeydew list, did a lot of cleaning up around the house. And today, actually, I went over to my little brother's house and got my mechanic on, helping him uh, work on his car. Nice. You get it fixed? We did not get it fixed. No, we did not. No. Yeah, I never said I was a good mechanic. I was just getting my mechanic on. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, Josh, I'm almost through with the uh, 2013 NBA Finals. Um, so last night I watched the the Spurs take a three-two advantage on under uh, Tony Parker's 26 points, um, despite a healthy effort from Dwayne Wade. He had 25 and 10. Um, so I, you know, I know what happened next. So, um, what are you thinking, Josh, for a for a series after this one? Oh, that's tough. You know, I would probably go Heat Thunder, uh, keep it current. Just a good, you know, sit down and cry. Yeah, I think I'm gonna avoid that one. I'm uh, it, it's it's still pretty sour to this day. I I don't think I've watched it actually. Oh, you should definitely go back and watch it. It's worth revisiting. Uh, you know, not if you're in the mood to cry, but if you're in the mood to watch some some good basketball and. You know, what could have been, that's that's a good place to start. You know, Josh, and that's another thing that um, we talked about it last episode. I mentioned it, how underrated this uh, Spurs team was. And I had a lot of people reach out to me and agree with that sentiment, you know, agreeing with how underrated they were. Because, I mean, you could argue that, especially in this series, Kawhi Leonard was probably the seventh best player on the team. I mean, he averaged 14 and 11, which is pretty good. But, I mean, and, you know, two steals, which led the finals. But, um, I mean, he didn't score that much besides the defensive impact, which it was evident. You know, going flashback to LeBron James doing not not for safe, not safe for work moment on the free throw line when uh, Kawhi Leonard checked into the game. But uh, other on the on the offensive side of the court, you know, he was probably he was he was a non-factor. So that that Spurs team, Josh, they're a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, that's that's a a good point there on the offensive end. You know, he might have not as been active as he is now on teams, but I definitely don't think that he was the seventh best player. Being able to play defense and the way he did against LeBron in that series is critical, and there's not a lot of people that can do that. So he's he might not have been a factor as much as he could have been offensively, but being able to shut LeBron down like that, uh, not shut down, but to alter the playing level of LeBron James – uh, it takes a special kind of defensive player. Yeah, and two other things that have really stood out to me. Um, Danny Green, his impact. Danny Green is a Hall of Famer. Danny Green has been doing this in NBA Finals for damn near a decade now, Josh. Danny Green, he's a Hall of Famer bona fide. A bona fide Hall of Famer, okay. He has. I mean, he's been on some championship teams making runs. He definitely has a playoff, uh, playoff mindset. That man, that man is a killer, and that that and like you said last game, Josh, about you know who's hurt most by this, and I think the Lakers are you know a strong candidate for that, and Danny Green right there along with them, they were going to make a strong push for the title. The Lakers were were definitely making a push for the title, and they had a a really good case, and we're going to see what's going to happen, 
you know, whether or not the NBA comes back, if it doesn't, we're going to see what a lot of, a lot of contracts are going to look like for the Lakers going into next year. Yeah, that's a good point. Josh, Danny Green shot 55% from three in this final. I I watched – I remember it like it was yesterday, and it was it was sad to go through watching it as a LeBron fan. Every time Danny Green caught the ball, he was shooting it, and it was going in. Man. Now, was this the same series where uh, Splitter got to do the tip ball, and as soon as the tip happened, they took him out? Oh, I believe so. I think that is – so this is the year the Heat um, got their second in a row. Um I can't remember if that was the year the Spurs won it or not. I don't remember, but I just remember watching that and thinking, wow, that's got to be so embarrassing. Because they did. Literally, as soon as he got through tipping the ball in, they, they subbed him. Oh, uh, Tiago Splitter, man. He gave he gave hope to every white white boy who was told to get in the corner. You know, go, run to the corner, run to the corner. He, he was our hope. Yeah, see how that paid out. Yep, now we're talking about talking about him on a, on a podcast <laughs> <laughs> he's still famous Josh did you uh did you get a chance to check out Wrestlemania I actually did I got to check out quite a bit of it it was a uh honestly it exceeded expectations for me I think under circumstances um and under all the you know scrutiny they're already under for not only holding this, you know, holding people wrestling and, you know, staff having to film and production companies having to make sure this, this gets on live TV correctly and everything like that. You know, putting those people at risk, they're under a lot of scrutiny for that. And I think they did a pretty good job. It was very, very cheesy. It was really funny, but it was very cinematic. I mean, it, it played well. It was very watchable, especially the Undertaker match. How did you like it? It was the one I was looking forward to the most, and it lived up to my expectation. I thought that it it was one of those all-time matches that has a little bit of everything. It was corny. It was cheesy, but it was a great match, and it's what we expect from the WWE. Uh, Taker throwing him off a the top of a barn, riding out on the Harley with Metallica playing in the background. It was everything that you'd expect from The Undertaker in WrestleMania. I, I couldn't have enjoyed it more. Yeah, you know, Josh, with Undertaker in the stage of his career he's in, he's not necessarily the best guy to go out there and give a 30-minute a match, a 40-minute match of just, you know, the pure best wrestling you've ever seen. So I think them playing that up and putting him in a very cinematic role, in a very played-out, scripted um, fight scene in, you know, in a dark graveyard against his two against his two goons. Gosh, I, I think it was, you know, it was very funny and it was very cheesy, you know, but it was, I couldn't look away. It was very, very entertaining. It was, and it just goes to show the legacy of The Undertaker and that he's still doing this at this stage in his career and that people are still tuning in to watch him every chance they get. He's been a pinnacle in the WWE. I hope that this isn't his last WrestleMania, but it definitely could be. But it just shows that you once you're in this industry, if you do it correctly, you can do it for a long time and you can do it effectively for a long time. Yeah, Josh. And, you know, the main part of that is fight promotion and building the fight um, anticipation of the fans and, you know, not just the people in the arena, but the people watching at home. And I think not only one of the best of that is The Undertaker, but also the next fight we're going to talk about. And this is John Cena, Bray Wyatt fight uh, or the match. John Cena, he is probably the best, if not, you know, up there with The Rock and uh, Stone Cold up there as the best fight promoters of all time, you know, not necessarily the best wrestlers, but the best promoter of the fight, they will build the anticipation. They will go out there and respond to a jab and give the people listening at home chills. Josh, I don't know if you watched the promotion on, on Friday night SmackDown, uh, Cena did for this match, but it was in an empty arena with no one in it. And I was getting chills at home. And that's, that's what John Cena brings. And uh, you know, he lost the match. It was very weird. You know, it was very cinematic. Like I said, uh, none of the matches were very long, but uh, John Cena still at it. He's still providing quality entertainment. John Cena is one of the best in the business at giving fans something to look forward to. He's done that from the minute he came to WWE. You've always latched onto him, wanted to know what the heck is this guy going to do next. He was a villain. He was a uh, a hero that you wanted to root for. John Cena's played the roles, and he does it very well. 
exactly what you said. He'll give you chills just like Stone Cold and The Rock. I throw Shawn Michaels and Triple H in there. Yeah. You just look forward to those kinds of matches, and you know that they're going to put on a show. This show, or this fight in particular, was pretty interesting. I'd never seen anything like it before. It it threw me off a little bit, but it was definitely worth. It was definitely entertaining and worth watching. Kind of going through the careers and the different spots, getting in his own head. I think that this was a great, a great way for the match to end the way that it did. Uh, a lot of people, I think that this was kind of expected for John Cena to lose this one, seeing this. He won this same matchup, oh, five years ago, four years ago. So it was a great rematch, and it, like I said, way different than what I expected, but that matchup is what drove Wyatt to what he's doing now. So definitely interesting between those two. Yeah, and uh, Josh, I don't know if you saw it too, but Gronk ended up making a cameo. Hilariously staged though, a back first, kind of like a, a stage dive doing a crowd surf um, into 15, probably 10, 15 people who were fighting, laid everyone out. He got the three count and became the 24-7 WWE champion. And this is exactly what you expect from Gronk. It's, it's, everyone, everyone knows that Gronk is in the WWE for the entertainment aspect. He's a guy who loves to have fun. He likes to be in the spotlight. And this was a perfect moment for him to throw the host away and become a WWE superstar coming in as a champion. I think this is a, a great, what could be a great beginning of a career for Rob Gronkowski in the WWE. I think it's a great call by you saying this is the perfect spot for him to come in there because I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen Gronk uh, try to, you know, be a host or try to be funny. It's pretty cringe. It's not funny usually. And he definitely needs a crowd, you know, for that one joke that somebody wrote for him. He definitely needs the crowd to laugh at that. And in a, in a spot like this where there actually is literally no crowd, um, a cameo where he's literally just jumping off a light pole into 10 people and winning a title, that's the perfect spot. And this is also a title that um, Ennis Cantor has held before, Celtics player Ennis Cantor. So maybe uh, David Ortiz next, another Boston legend. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, great people winning that 24-7 award or title, but I think that you're going to see, hopefully you'll see Gronk uh, spin this a little bit into other matches and maybe even a new title shot down the road. The 24-7 title is something that I was very glad that they added to WWE when they did. It gives you know, a lot of room for spontaneous matchups and some of the great clips that you see from the nineties wrestlers that, you know, can happen nowadays with the 24 seven where people can fight anywhere. Yeah, that's a great point, Josh. And uh, let's just move on quickly to the last headline and that'll do it for this. And then we'll jump into the interview with Juan Guerrera, uh, owner of Kicklahoma. Josh, did you see Trump said that, I mean, in the um, phone conference with, all of the owners know worthy that the NCAA uh, commissioner was not on that phone call with Trump and the rest of the league owners. Um, he told them he, he's hoping to have fans back in the arenas, back in stadiums and games going again by August, September, somewhere around there. Um, do you, do you agree with the sentiment that we, that we could have fans back by then? Well, I think it's important to note what the president said. President Trump didn't say that there were going to be fans. He said that he hopes that there will be fans. So this definitely isn't him coming out saying that there will be fans. But I would definitely agree with where the president's coming from and the fact that he's trying to give hope to as many people. And it probably is his personal belief that we'll have fans back in the arena. Maybe he knows something that we don't. I sure hope that he does. Um, but I, I definitely agree with him sending hope to the people, sending hope that you know, we can take the necessary precautions by flattening the curve and getting fans back in stands and uh, sports being played again. I've been the optimist on this from day one, and I'll continue to be, and especially when it comes to the NFL, I think that they're going to play anyway, just because I will say it probably in every episode until the NFL happens, they're tone deaf. And uh, even if something is going on, the NFL is just going to do what the NFL is going to do. But I do I do agree with what the president is saying and trying to spread hope. I have two things. First of all, we're not going to have fans in August or September because we're not going to have sports until probably some November, October, somewhere in there. We should probably get baseball again somewhere, maybe late late July, somewhere in there for baseball, but definitely not fans. Um, but the president, is he's an idea guy. I'll give him that. Um, 
he gives out some really good ideas. He uh, like with the website with Google, you know, um, saying Google was coming up with that website or producing about to finish the website when they actually hadn't. That was just a great idea that they needed to get on. So I'll give him that. And we'd have fans in arenas by August. That's a great idea. I'll give him that. So he's a great idea guy. So hopefully we uh, will be able to follow through on this one. And hopefully you're right, Josh, but, as you said, you're going to, you're going to continue to be the optimist in this. So, so this show needs a, needs a pessimist. <laughs> I, I can see that side of it. And, uh, I, I, you know, that small part of me just wants to believe that we're going to get sports no matter who's saying it, because you see people on both sides of it all the time. We're going to have fans. We're not even going to have sports. So people are having different kinds of conversations all across sports. And I think that there are a lot of conversations being held that, you and I are definitely not privy to. And I think a lot of the people talking about these things are not privy to. So we'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, with that's a good point. Like you said, we don't know where is. we're going to be in a month from now, two months from now even. So, but I, it's just, it, it's frightening to see people like Kirk Herbstreet, you know, like Dickie V, people like this that say, that say we're not going to get sports this fall, you know, that we're not going to get football. He'd be shocked if we, if we played football this fall. It's just a little scary to see that. Would, I mean, that part of it could, but at the end of the day, I don't see any of these leagues rolling anyone out on the field or putting fans in a stadium where they would have a chance to be exposed to the coronavirus or have a chance to get hurt. I think that it's a lot of hope being pushed out in a lot of talks, and I think that a lot of people do want sports back as quickly as possible, just like the normal fan does. So I think that everyone is working their hardest to get yeah, sports back to us as quickly as they can. Adam Silver talked about doing a horse contest. I have seen this, and I actually so I didn't didn't tell anybody this, but I had actually had the idea already between uh, me and a couple of friends on Snapchat doing a horse competition. I've still been trying to find one of those uh, mini basketball goals to get put in my house, but I want to have an in-home horse competition uh, sometime this week. But obviously, I'm not a famous basketball player like LeBron James or Michael Jordan. But, uh, yeah, back to what you said about the horse competition that the NBA is going to do. I think that's an electric idea. I've heard people bashing it, saying that's really boring. You know, this is this is a boring idea. We don't want to watch this. This is literally just going to be people in their gym shooting with no pressure. I completely disagree. I think with these people, these guys live on Instagram with hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people watching in their home gym having to match a shot that, let's say, Trey Young and Devin Booker are matching half-court shots because – because Devin Booker just made, I mean, uh, Donovan Mitchell just made a half court shot. That would be electric, Josh. I'm, I would watch every second. And if you're, if you're bad talking just because you know you miss sports, or it's not, it's not live sports. It's not what we, what we're used to. Shut up, because it's the closest thing we have, and it's probably the closest thing we'll have for the next at least two or three months. I love the idea. I think that it, it is amazing, and there, you know, the creativity of some of these players is going to be incredible because you see it from the dunk contest and a lot of other things, the creativity and horse from these guys backwards, one handed, you know, hook shots from half court. I, I'm looking forward to it all. Yeah. We'll dive a little bit deeper into the 2k tournament later, but first up, here's an interview with owner of Kicklahoma, Juan Guerra. All right. So today we have uh, Juan Guerrero on with us from Kicklahoma in Oklahoma city. How's it going Juan? It's going good yourself. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on with us today. I know that anytime. Yeah, so uh are you uh getting stuck in the quarantine like everybody else? Yeah, I've been spending a few hours inside the house, um uh, watching a lot of Netflix and playing a lot of uh MLB the show. Um and and making a lot of trips to the refrigerator, I'm sure like many of us. Yeah, dude, so I, I can't. Pictures. I can't stop making trips to the fridge, dude. Man, I've put on probably fifteen pounds. Yeah, it's we're gonna have the freshman fifteen, and we have like the quarantine like thirty-five or forty by the time this is all said and done. <laughs> How do you like the show? <laughs> do you like it pretty good? The show's cool. I, I, I'm a, I'm one of those guys, I guess, like kind of in the industry. I deal with a lot of people like NBA and and basketball, um, but I do or NFL and NBA. Um, but I do follow like what I call the three major sports, which is baseball. And I know some people are like, well, what about hockey? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah. American top three sports, I guess. Um, you know, I follow uh, baseball. So I, I like to show, I like to uh, switch it up. Um, and it's, 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 it's really strategic because like on the show, like one pitch can cost you the game. So 
not like 2K where you can like make a run or something like that, you know, later on in the oh, game. No. So, so are you a PS4 or an Xbox? I've always been an Xbox. I actually play everything else on Ugh. Xbox except the show because it's not on Xbox. Um, yeah, that's my thing. I've always, I've always had an Xbox too, and I've, um, you know, I played MLB 2K when when that was out, but you know, since then I, I've been lacking a, a baseball game because I've, I just don't have a PlayStation. Right. Yeah, yeah. I used to play the. Uh, you know, I remember like the good old days. Like I'm talking about like high heat baseball and triple yeah, exactly. Play, triple slug play, fest. triple play, and slugfest. Like all those games. Like that's when I was like in middle school and like late elementary and stuff like that. I saw one of you were playing. Uh, what were y'all playing? NCAA football. Oh yeah, that was me this uh, last night, man. I'm yeah. I'm I'm in my fourth season of a dynasty. I've uh, putting together a little career out there. Yeah, I know that's the one game they all want for to come back. Uh, I'm not sure if it's ever going to happen, but it'd be it'd be dope. I think we'll get it in a couple yeah. of years, hopefully. I'm really hoping for it. Yeah. So transitioning um, a little bit to why we're here today. So you're um, you're the owner and operator of Kicklahoma. Uh, you started that um, a long time ago. You know, I followed you on Instagram since probably 2012, 2013, um, back when you know you were JG from OKC. And now, you know, um, up to three stores, a yearly show. For people that don't know what is Kicklahoma, go ahead and uh, answer that for me. You know, basically when we started Kicklahoma, uh, it began as a buy-sell trade event um, of, you know, urban streetwear sneakers such as, like, Jordans and Kanye West shoes and any kind of, like, anybody in this whole little industry of, like, sports, music, um, you know, artists and stuff like that um basically just like a, a high-end urban share not even like high-end just more like collector's items and it's like items that even like older people had because there's so many people that come into the stores like man i had these in 88 um back when they first released but so when we started it we started it as um just a trade show um and we we went to a lot of events um we hosted our own events um and that just kind of how the like the the brand started back in 2014, um, which is a lot of networking and just wanting to bring people together uh, for the same cause um, a couple times a year. Back in 2014, when you uh, started, did you see this growth happening or is it pretty unexpected? Um, I knew a lot of people liked shoes. I just didn't know. I didn't ever think I'd have a store like, and people tried to, we didn't open our first store until 2018. And a lot of people in like 2015 and 2016 were like, dude, do a store, do a store, do a store. And I'm like, no, like I want to travel. Like I want to be going to all these other events. I don't want to be like stuck in a store. Um, and then as kind of, I got older, you know, went on like, you know, we call it like the, the sneaker show tour, you know, for like three years. We're from coast to coast, like for four months mm. a year just at a different event over and over every weekend. It's like we're somewhere else. After, you know, kind of being everywhere, you know, a few times, it's like, all right, let's, let's try the stores and settle in. And then I opened the store, the first store. And then I was like, man, I really want to get back out on the road. So after we were open for a while, kind of hit the road heavy again. Um, and now I'm just kind of learning to balance it all out, uh, making sure it's worth the time to move around as much. And For whatnot. people that don't really – I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt. For people that don't really understand the um, buy sell trade industry in the shoe game, um, kind of explain how how your store is profitable. Yeah, so basically everything's a supply and demand, and I mean this could go with like, you know, unfortunately the way paper towels are going right now, or uh, you know hand sanitizer like mm -hmm. shoes. They make you know they release their shoe one time a year or one time ever, or you know whatever the case is. Say that you know say they drop a they drop a we'll just. We'll just use this shoe, for example, to break it down um, to everybody. They drop the Jordan 11 bread in December. Uh, so the Jordan 11 bread is an all-black and red colorway shoe that Jordan actually wore in 1996. Uh, but obviously, you know, people weren't buying the shoe in 96 or, you know, all these kids, whatnot. Then they've released that shoe a couple times. Well, so they only release like, say they release 30,000 pairs at $220 um, a pair. But there's 100,000 people that want the 30,000 pairs. So then that's kind of where we come in as we're not a retailer like Champs, Foot Locker that get, you know, 60 pairs 
120 pairs. We might get four or five, but our price is determined by the market. So if it's a very hot shoe, you know, as such shoe as the Bread 11, where everybody wants it because it's iconic colorway, somebody might be willing to pay 320, 330 bucks. The thing is, we're only able to get our hands on so many. So somebody's coming to sell it to us as well. So there's a bunch of different parties that are able to make money off of it. Um, and basically, we're just able to put shoes into people's hands that they either want. Um, a lot of the stuff that we sell in our store is from previous years um, that people might have missed out on, whether they were in like college, um, maybe they had a pair and they outgrew that pair or whatever the case may be. But basically, we're a supply and demand store to where if they drop 15,000 pairs, but it's a very hot shoe, the price goes up, obviously, after it comes from a retailer. And then that's just kind of what the value of it is. So this, the shoe market isn't an easy market to step into and be successful. Uh, what have you done to set you apart or what do you think you've done to make you be so successful to this point? Um, I mean, I think it, it has that little oversaturated. Um, a lot of these bigger companies, Jordan Adidas, I think they are seeing, they've, they're kind of like slowing the resale game down a little bit because now instead of them selling 10,000 pairs and then Tommy buying 20 pairs and making $200 profit. Now they're making 200,000 pairs and they're selling at stores, but they're not worth, you know, that much on the back on, on a, on a, on a market value. But Adidas is now making the money instead of the guy that was selling and making them, you know, getting the $200 profit. Mm -hmm. I think the one thing that set us apart was that before we opened our stores, we already had a name. We had been a brand for four years. Um, and it was like an easy transition into the store. And the only reason I did the store is because people, not that like it has been beneficial for me in multiple different factors, but it's something that like comes with goods and bads. And like, you know, once we open a store, we have to be there 75 hours a week because we have to be open when the mall is open, whether it's 10 o'clock on a Monday morning or Saturday at, you know, nine o'clock at night, like we have to be open. So it's just one of those things that like, there's just so many little factors into this, into like how it's grown and how it's come. Um, but it's just all been a, I think like a lot of people ask like, Hey man, what, what would you recommend? You know, if I want to open a store and I'm like, I really don't know because I've been a brand for four years. Like we were already putting our name in front of people to where it kind of, you know, worked out well. For sure. Yeah, that makes sense. And, yeah, well, I've got one more question about that. Um, kind of like about the uh, yearly shows that you do. So you spoke on the events that you wanted to continue to attend before you started your uh, your store. Um, kind of speak on the yearly show that y'all put on um, at, at Kiklahoma. So we just had a show March eighth. Uh, we had roughly like twelve, thirteen hundred people. Um, so basically, on so basically like my store. If you come into my store, you see a shoe on the wall. I might have two pairs. I have a nine and a half and a ten. That's what I have. I don't, you know, I don't have 60 pairs in the back. You don't come in and pick your size. Fortunately, it's not like Foot Locker and Champs. So when you come to an event, I have 75 different vendors that come from all over Texas, Kansas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, the East Coast, West Coast, everywhere. They might have an 11 there. They might have a 12. They might have something that I don't have in my store. Um, so basically, it's just, a, it's, it's like 1,200 people come together and it's like a big, it's like a big Kiklahoma store, <laughs> but it's like, you never know what's going to pop in pop out. Um, the good thing as well is like, you know, if you're an attendee or you're a vendor, instead of you coming out of pocket, say $400, $500 on a pair of shoes, you can bring items to the event and you know, your two items might get you one item or you might start off with two items and you sell your two items and you go home with three or four items from somebody else. So that's the good thing is like with there being so many people, you really never know what's going to be, what's going to be circulating um, and what you might be able to pick up. So have you always been this big into shoes? Like were you a sneakerhead your whole life or is it something that just kind of hit you out of nowhere? No, I kind of always like remember shoes, uh, being into shoes and having an interest into shoes. Um, and then like, as I got like a little older, started getting like a job and stuff in like sophomore year of high school, that's when I started like buying my own shoes and then, like, I strictly started wearing Nike only in 2006. Um, and then, like, so I was always into shoes. And then when we got the Thunder in 08, 09, KD had his signature line. 
Um, so I just started collecting all the KDs as possible. When I was in college, so it was kind of hit or miss here or there. And then like 2011, 2012, whenever I got out of school, I just started buying every pair of KDs. So um, I've always been into shoes, but I think like, honestly, like having like the Thunder and like the signature athlete, that like took it to a whole nother level. So we'll get into uh, more on the Thunder here in a second because um, we know you're we know about the streak and everything. But um, going back to KD, um, he you know he's my favorite player, and uh, the KD six is my favorite shoe, the KD six Ant Pearl. Um, what's your favorite KD? And I was telling Josh before the show, I'm pretty sure I'm not sure if this is true at all, but I'm just gonna call you the biggest KD collector in the world. Is that true? Uh, that'd probably be true. That would probably Ooh. be true. So I, the thing is, like, like the thing with, and that's like a lot of people like, are like, man, like, forget KD, he left, he left, yada yada yada. I'm just like, dude, like, if it wasn't for KD, like, KD changed my life, like, in a way, like that he did nothing but be a part of a shoe. I got into shoes, and then I started. I went to an event because I had an interest deeper into shoes than just like, oh, I like these shoes, and then like that started my brand and all this and all that. So it's like, you know is what it is so put us yep so so not not to make a little pun or anything but put us in your shoes the day katie decides to go to golden state Uh, it was heartbreaking man it was uh july 4th um july 4th of what 2016 Mm -hmm. uh kind of messed with the whole holiday but it was just like it was shocking um the thing it did for me was there was a couple of collectors that just were ready to unload uh, on their collections, so they were selling seven hundred dollars shoes for three fifty, or four hundred dollars shoe for one hundred and fifty. Uh, so I definitely took advantage of that uh, in a way that you know uh, it benefited me and my collection. Um, but you know, it you know it is what it is. I guess a business decision. Uh, I chatted up with Katie every once in a while. I f- I feel like he always says he's not coming back. I feel like he he's going to come back at some point, even if it is for like a year or two. Um, I definitely think he's going to come back too. Uh, how many pair of Katie's shoes do you have? Uh, we're probably pushing about 480 to 500 pairs right now. <sighs> Just I, Katie's. I legit have every pair of Katie's that has ever released, except like two pairs of the Katie ones, which is like 2008, 2009, that I'll probably never be able to find in pristine or wearable condition. Um, and then I have a bunch of sh- like Katie's that haven't released to the public um that i've just like been able to find here and there um just some exclusives some samples some one-of-one stuff some prototype stuff that a lot of people haven't seen before so it's just something different it's just something different for me because like when i got into shoes everybody was lining up for jordans so i was like i don't want to be like everybody else like i want to you know create my own lane and then that's like realistically what helped me as a as a brand and as a person like push my brand because i was going to events displaying these kds that people hadn't seen and everybody else literally had the same stuff on all their tables so mm-hmm. it just helped my brand well one you'd be surprised at our uh, at our listeners here so if you're listening to this let's get one a pair of those kd ones uh, go ahead and uh, just hit them up hit us up on twitter and we'll make sure we get them to them we'll get that working for you i'd appreciate it <laughs> So uh, you said you weren't big into Jordans, you know, you, um, you, 06, you were wearing exclusively Nike, but, you know, I've noticed you, know, you, you wear some Jordans, um, some other non-Nikes. What's your favorite, either retro Jordan or a non, you know, mainstream brand that's not Nike or Jordan? So, yeah, I wear a couple of Jordans, uh, but the only Jordans I wear are Nike Air Jordans. So, like, somebody that's not familiar, it's going to be a, it's going to be one through six only on the Jordans. Most people that wear Jordans were one through 14s um, just because those were like the first shoes that he played before his retirement. And then that's when he came back to play for the Wizards. And then nobody really wore nothing after that. And like, even to this day, like now, now his shoes are more like tech tech are made for basketball. Mm -hmm. Where back in the day, they might've been made for basketball, but they look like you could wear them more with like, you know, an everyday fit. Like Jordans nowadays, you can't wear with, whatever you want it looks like a basketball shoe it, it, it is a basketball shoe back in 84 85 they didn't really they were still working on their technology for shoes so they didn't really know what they were creating um but as far as like what i wear like jordan wise so i wear the nike air jordan threes 
which had the Nike Air on the back as they originally did in 86, 87, um, to where most of the time they put the Chumpman logo on the back since after the six, they stopped, like back in, in 1989, 1990, they stopped putting Nike Air on the back of everything and they just started putting the Jordan logo. Um, so I know a lot of people, their favorite Jordan is the Jordan 11. Um, you'll never see me wear a pair of 11s. And I like patent leather, which is on every 11. Mm-hmm. But I like the Jordan 3s, um, the Jordan 4s. Not really a fan of the Jordan 1s. I have a couple pairs, but it's a flat shoe. So I'm not really a fan of it. Uh, but besides that, I got a little bit of everything. Uh, the first like shoe that like really like caught my eye was the Zoom Generation, which is the LeBron 1 yeah. back in 2006. Uh, I remember getting a pair of those when they released. No, not that wasn't 2006. That was like 2004, 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, I just remember getting my first pair of those and like wearing them to school and wanting nobody to make sure like nobody stepped on my shoes or nothing like that. It was like eighth grade. Um, but like the Zoom Generation, which is the LeBron one, was like the first shoe that got me into it. So I still have like some of the originals from 0405 of those. They re-released some of those. So I wear a little bit of those, up-tempos, um, a little bit of everything, to be completely honest, on the Nike side of things. That's funny. I think my first pair of shoes was the LeBron Soldier 7s. The LeBron Soldier 7s. Yeah, I got a pair of OU top. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I think I got an OU pair of the LeBron Soldier 7s. Yeah, I think I I was in, I think probably ninth grade. Not, yeah, I was the same way going to shoe. Yeah, if anybody steps in my shoes, I guess this is the day I get into a fight. (laughs) Yeah. So we talked a little bit about the streak earlier. So for people who don't know, you've been to, 550 plus what's the exact number the exact number is 539 539 so 539 of 539 thunder home games so you haven't missed one how did that come about (laughs) speak on that we'll start we'll, we'll we'll go in reverse i was actually at 540 um when 540 got canceled or postponed on the fly, which is probably the craziest thing I've ever seen in person. Um, so yeah, that's the Utah Utah Thunder game on uh, what was that March 11th? It's crazy to feel like the NBA has only been gone for three or four weeks. It feels like six months. Um, but yeah, like the, the way the streak started is like I've, I've, I'm from Oklahoma City. I've been born and raised in Oklahoma City. A very like Oklahoma proud like I, I I dislike when people are like man I wish I lived in California I wish I lived in Miami or I wish like man, you can like you can have the same experiences out there as here in Minnesota Beach all you're doing out there is paying you know like three dollars more for gas your rent's a lot more your mortgage is a lot more trust me I travel all over the place like McDonald's is twice the price and you get yeah. the same thing um so I like you know I was born and raised in Oklahoma I went to school um at central Oklahoma um so just very like and when i was a fan i was a regional fan i'm a dallas cowboys fan born into it um texas rangers fan and before we had the thunder i was a mavericks fan until we had the hornets here for two years due to hurricane katrina um so then when we got the thunder i was like you know like dang that's that's a oklahoma city nba franchise so i immediately jumped on board even though they were terrible and just started going to all the games and just it's just started going and then a couple years in just realized man i haven't missed one and then it just kind of became a thing and just kind of started keeping account and keeping uh you know just going to everyone people know like i've taken so many people to their first thunder game like those first five or six years now i feel like everybody's been to one at least and if you haven't been to one i don't really know what you've been doing for 12 years not to have been to at least one um but yeah that's just kind of how it's it started and happened and it just kind of goes sometimes it gets a little tougher um you know going to like a tuesday night game against like the kings or a wednesday night game against the the, the nets or somebody you know it's just it, it has made it a little tough of kind of like this at some point it's going to end right like everything is going to end um just don't know when and just enjoying it well good thing was so have you had any have you had any close calls yet, like where you thought you were going to miss a game? Uh, I got a uh, – back like 2012, 2013, uh, I don't even think I've told any – like it was like four of us that were going to the game together. 
Um, but we have four season. We actually have six season tickets, um, and two of them belong to my mom. So we were trying to sell her two playoff tickets. Uh, we were playing, can't even like the Grizzlies or something. This is one of those years where the Thunder and Grizzlies were seem like to be in the playoffs every year. We we're playing the Grizzlies, and tickets to these games went for like 50, 60 bucks. Uh, and we were literally trying to get like $25 for them. So I, I like walked them downtown, was trying to sell them. And I guess I sold them to like some undercover cop. And you weren't supposed to be selling them for over retail, which was 15. And then like I sold them to him and like we exchanged the money. And then he was like, he walked off for like five seconds, came back and says, hey, I'm Oklahoma City police officer. You need to come with me. So we walked towards the arena walk into like this little section. Uh, they scanned the tickets just to make sure they were good because I guess they were having issues with like people like selling fakes or whatever, like printed copies. They scanned. He's like, they sent me in this room. They're like, all right, we're going to let you go. He's like, you're going to get this ticket. It's like 75 bucks. You're not supposed to be selling tickets within like so many like feet of the arena over oh. the value of the ticket. He was like, but they were really good priced for what everybody else is selling them. But I was, like, trying to figure out, because I go to every game. Like, I see the scalpers standing there, and they were selling them for more than I was. So I'm just like, I don't really know, like, you know, like, how they get – you know, you always see the guy that says, I need tickets, but you really know that I need tickets means he's selling tickets. Like, I don't Uh really know, like – but, like, that was the game. Like, and this was, like, seven, eight years ago. This is like, oh, like, not only am I going to miss the game, I'm probably going to jail or something. Like, I didn't really really know. I was, like, 22, 23 years old. Like – we were literally trying to make $10 over the ticket. We were trying to make 25, 50 bucks on a pair of tickets. Everybody else was signed for like $50 a ticket just because it was so last minute. We were just trying to get rid of them. But that was like really the only like scare I've had. Um, I lived really close to the arena for like the first eight years. So even when it like snowed, um, you know, any ice storm, it's just a couple blocks away. So that's like never really been a thing. And then again, being self-employed, I'm kind of able to draw out my own schedule. Um, be where I want to be when I want to be. Um, so that's like, that's one of the good things um, with owning your own business. So you said the streak has to end at some point. I mean, does it really? I mean, at some point I might have a child or something. I don't really know. I mean, how somebody, I, ha- I, know, I have a daughter and she loves basketball. She's only one and a half. She loves basketball. I mean, yeah, if some, I had a streak going like that, I'd probably just take it. At some point she's going to have T-ball or gymnastics or something. <sighs> And, and, and late, lady, lady friends not gonna enjoy that one. Whenever you say, oh, "I'm gonna go here," just video it. Got to keep the streak alive, baby. It's a Tuesday night against Charlotte. <laughs> we have to watch. <laughs> yeah, basically. So, I mean, you know, I don't know. I don't have any kids yet, um, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe it never ends. Who knows? Let's hope not. So, uh, take us through probably your top three to five favorite thunder moments from the past 12 years um well i tell everybody like my favorite one of my favorite games that i remember was like it was like 2013 2014 where katie had 50 russell had 40 and uh serge had a triple double and double overtime against denver um it's like the only time that three teammates have had those numbers 50 40 and a triple double um so i was like that's like my favorite game um I mean, there's been a lot of like a lot of good memories. I've been in a lot of away games. I've been lucky to do that. I went to the finals um, in 2012 uh, when we played against Miami. I was actually at the cramp game uh, of LeBron's. But mm-hmm. I mean, so, was... so like like those moments, like the cramp game. Um, let's say Katie's return, uh, Russ's return, the Russ, uh, you know, triple double when he clinched that for the season what was your favorite of those yeah i had uh you know it's crazy the day that they uh russell like broke the triple double we also had uh we had jack daniels on behalf of turner sports uh they filmed like a little segment as well um with me for mm. uh like some jack daniels hometown hero type of it was pretty cool um that was that was a good one uh katie's return was a good one obviously like man the year before katie left like that whole playoff run was good um was able to go every round that year we went to LA San Antonio um went to Golden State for game one when we actually beat them in San Francisco and took the lead right out the gate um Mm -hmm. but basically up until game six and seven that one was uh 
that was a good uh, playoff run. Uh, the first year they were in the playoffs against the Lakers, uh, which would have been, I guess, the sec- the second year that the Thunder were in Oklahoma City was the first time they made the mm-hmm. playoffs when they played the uh, Kobe, Gasol, Lamar Odom. Um, and man, almost had it, almost went to what game seven, I believe. Whenever like, yeah. Gasol tips it at the buzzer in game six, mm-hmm. or like right at Ugh. the buzzer. Um, but just it's just crazy, and it's like I don't think like Oklahomans like they definitely haven't understood like when KD left, a lot of Oklahomans haven't realized the business aspect of pro sports. Like these players don't stay with the same organizations forever. But what they also haven't realized was like for those first eight or nine years, how lucky we were to be as good as we were and see everything that we had seen from sixth man to, to MVPs, to being in the finals, to playing in the playoffs so much because there's franchises that haven't did that. And like right out the bat, Oklahomans were like spoiled with that success. Um, and obviously we've still been solid. We have been horrible. We missed the playoffs one time or twice since they've been here. And the one year we missed it was the year KD was hurt and we missed it by one game. Um, but I think they've just been very spoiled to the fact of everything we've seen in such a short time. So I always used to, I always used to use the Raptors as an example until they won, of course, last year, like, how long have the Raptors been in the NBA? Like 94? And they're barely in the playoffs. Their best player was Vince Carter for a couple of years. Besides that, they've yeah, done yeah. nothing, you know? And they've yeah, been there for, there for a couple of years anyway. Yeah, they've been there 25, 26 years. And then obviously, so now I'll use Memphis. Memphis been Memphis been around since like 94, 95. Maybe a little bit later. They've been back and forth, right? They've been in Vancouver, Memphis, here, there, everywhere. What have they done? What has that franchise done? Not a lot. Right. And I, I've never understood the, the, the arrogant, you know, the kind of unexpected, you know, expectations that the Oklahoma City fans have. And honestly, because it's the only franchise we have, too. Right. I mean, it's not like we have another franchise that's winning championships. Yeah, yeah. And like I would say, I think that's why whenever Russell left, they were more okay with it. Because, because okay, it's, it's, it's happened before. We understand it now. Or we, we say we understand it, but we're still mad at KD. Because you think about it, up to last year, we hated Harden. But now we're okay with sending Russell to go play with him? Or these, yeah. these fans? These, well, fan, these yeah, fans yeah. are okay yeah. with, with, with us sending Russell to play with Houston? Even though we hated Harden, we hate Harden, yada, 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 yada. But it was like, you know, KD did the same thing. He, was just, he just wanted to go play somewhere else. But I think now fans are starting to realize, like, hey, like, you know, it's time. Like, and maybe it wasn't KD's time. Maybe he had another four or five years here in Oklahoma City, right out of that contract. But you know, it's what it is. Well, and I think that that just speaks to the differences of those situations. Whereas KD left when we were still right in the middle of the hunt. You know, went to the team that beat Oklahoma City. You know, I think that that led to a lot of the contention for his decision. Whereas Russell left, they traded him after Paul George left. The fans knew that he wanted to be in a position with a championship and Oklahoma city just wasn't there anymore. So I think that's a lot of the reason for people being okay with Russell getting out when he did. Possibly. Possibly. I think my main argument for it all would, um, you know, like you said, it is a business and that's kind of how I looked at it. Whenever the thunder traded Harden when they didn't have to, I said, that's a business decision. It was a bad one, but it was a business decision. And the same way when Katie left, I'm not, it's not a decision I'll, I will agree with always. I mean, but, you know, it's not really my place to agree with it. The problem with Harden so long ago was it wasn't even Harden's problem. It was Ibaka's problem. Like, before mm-hmm. we signed mm-hmm. Ibaka to the big contract, that dude literally lived within five feet of the basket. That dude yeah, got rebounds. Right there too. That dude got rebounds and went back up. He had a 17 jump shot from, you know, the wing. Uh, you know, he would hit this mid-range, mid-range. <laughs> and then as soon as he signed that contract, he became a three-point shooter. Like if we knew we were signing three-point shooters, we would have kept James Harden over Serge Ibaka. But at the time, Serge Ibaka was cleaning up in the paint. But, hey, now everybody's a shooter. One of those decisions yeah. that'll yeah. it'll be a 30 for 30. Definitely. Yeah. So, uh, speaking, you were there for the, for the game that got canceled. Hopefully, uh, postponed, I should say. And hopefully, it is postponed and not canceled. Hopefully, we will get at least that game replayed maybe a couple more before the playoffs. 
Um, hopefully, we just get some basketball. What do you? What were you thinking of this year's Thunder team? How do you like them? Man, it looked real well. I told a lot of people like in the off season. Uh, I was like, dude, they have a couple of veterans. They have Chris Paul. They got Gallinari. Um, they got a bunch of young core. You know, they got Schroeder coming off the bench. Um, I was like, they got a very like rounded cat. They're not going to be terrible. They're not like, and it's so crazy. Like Vegas only had them winning thirty-one games. They won yeah. more than that before the All Star break. Um. And like I said, they're going to be very competitive. And they're in those first two weeks of the season. You could see it. You're like, man, they're so close. Like, we're just losing every game, like, three or four points. or losing by two. Mm-hmm. Like, like if you take off, like, if, like, if you could replay those first two weeks of the season, the Thunder might be, like, a two seed right now in the West. Um, just because they lost so many games at the beginning of the year by two or three points. Um, so, again, they're just they, – they have everything right now. They have veterans. They got young guys. Um and, and, I mean, you know, all depending, you know, where they ended up, three or four, you know, probably four going into playoffs, they probably could have got a serious potentially. Um, you know, if they got three, potentially they could get two serious. Uh, but it's just, you know, unfortunate situation. I honestly don't think the NBA is going to return this year. I don't think we're going to have any pro sports this year, unfortunately. But I hope I'm wrong. If you are wrong – uh, do you think that this break is able to help those veterans like Chris Paul and Stephen Adams, or do you think it kind of kills momentum? Uh, that that'd be a that that's that's a pretty good question. I mean, I'm sure it can help on both both sides of it. I mean, I'm sure some guys can adapt, but it's just gonna be too sloppy. Like realistically, like out the gate, like it's just like there's mm-hmm. this big break where basically, I'm guessing probably 75 percent of the guys can't even work out and lift weights because they probably don't have an at home gym. And they can't go work out at a gym. They can't go to the facilities. Um, so it's just like this big old, like, this is why the preseason is like a month long, even though they're only playing eight or nine times. You know, they're working out. They're they're running to get in shape. They're getting all these little things down um, outside of those eight games because they don't even play in those eight games. They just – they don't even play in those games. It's just like a month of practice. So, like, by the time they get things spinning around, are they going to have, like, a – two to three week grace period of practice to then go back to playing these games. And, and some teams, you know, if they play it all in one city, you know, these teams that do well with crowds, are they going to be able to play well? Or is the Greek freak not going to be able to play well because the bed at Caesar Palace sucks and isn't comfortable for him. And, you know, there's so many things like just so many factors of, what could happen, you know, if this season continues, because they're not really, they're not going to be like, I don't think they'd be like in their routines and stuff. Yeah. And I saw this one thing. It's like, you got to think these people have trained their bodies to be in such good shape for this period of time and to have this big breakthrough. And then there's just got to be devastating to most of that. There's like saying like, you know, they can play in Vegas, they'll play multiple games a day and like not the same teams, but they play like four times a week. Like, one, most of the teams aren't playing four times a week, but if you're only playing them in one, like say they were playing at one casino on like a court, or maybe if they had two, like these players aren't going to be used to playing like a two o'clock game or like a five o'clock game or, you know, like, and they, they, that's what they'd have to do to try to squeeze in that many games in one or two, you know, courts, if that's the case. Like it just, it's, it's just unfortunate, right? I, I mean, I told, yeah, well, I didn't, I didn't tell nobody. I've told people doesn't the people that I told don't matter, but I'm like, they should just pick, they should just resume like the NBA in like January and finish off the season. I know it'd be weird, but it'd be like a two year season, but it's cause it's like, Hey, you're taking away from like, you know, what LeBron and them had going or what, you know, the thunder are like rolling or Milwaukee season or, but it's just interesting now because if they start, say, say if they start in June or July or August or whenever, Kyrie might be back. KD might be back. LeBron's rested. You know, all these different Philly's aspects. It, it, you know, all these different things, you know. You can't tell me if, if the playoffs start in July or August, KD's playing. I mean, he wanted to play in the Olympics. He's definitely playing. It definitely changes the landscape of the NBA whenever this all resumes, depending on how much time has transpired from the people who are going to be coming back, teams that lose momentum, teams that gain momentum. It's if everything's going to be changed when, when and if the NBA resumes. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Well, uh, we're, 
we're going to move to our last question here. We've got Juan Guerrero with uh, Kicklahoma. Go follow him on Instagram. So, one, uh, we've talked a lot about how you got started, you know, what you're doing currently. We even talked about the future of a little one running around. But as far as you and uh, Kicklahoma, what's next? What do you, where do you envision this going? Um, so, right now we have two – we just have two stores in Oklahoma City. Um, we were supposed to have three events in Oklahoma this year, as we usually do. We usually have two events in Oklahoma City, one in Tulsa. Um, we've already, like, pushed back our July show to October. And we're just going to do it in Oklahoma City in October. And we're probably not going to have a Tulsa show this year just because of all the scheduling that's, like, got messed up with what's going on right now. Um, so probably just moving on to the future. We do have two stores in Oklahoma City, potentially looking at doing a third one in Tulsa maybe this fall, maybe next spring. There's really no timetable for it. Um, one of the things I've told people for a couple of years now that I'm still trying to work on is is completing, uh, trying to like create like a sports, um, like an a youth athletic group or program that's all taken care of by Kicklahoma. I'm looking to do that. Uh, before this happened, I was supposed to start spe- uh, speaking at different schools um, different high schools around Oklahoma City area, just letting them know, hey, if you want it, you can go out and get it. Don't let nobody tell you just because you're from, like, the south side of Oklahoma City, you can't have nothing nice. Um, and just doing a lot of, like, speaking, um, just kind of telling people my story, um, giving them pointers, giving them advice, kind of being a mentor to them whenever. Um, so basically speaking, um, trying to have that youth uh, academy of some sort, uh, taking care of here within the next few years and just continuing to grow our brand. We've kind of, we've kind of tried to like dip our toes and doing events in Texas. Not really our thing. We have a lot of Texas support on the vendor side of it. It's just so hard to get that foot traffic of people to attend the events. Um, but I do appreciate all them for supporting us here in Oklahoma. Uh, but really just like the stores are going to do well, you know, you know, it's going to take a little bit of time probably after this gets taken care of just because people and their finances, um, and shoes aren't really a necessity. Um, but, you know, I want to do things outside of, you know, the shoes. I want to, like, like I, like I told you guys. I want to build up from the youth. That's that's great to hear. That's always, you know, that's something that we talk about a lot on the show is people giving back, you know, whether it's the everyday individual or if it's a, it's a professional athlete, whoever it is, we love those stories. And uh, we definitely want to come have you come back on when and if some of that stuff starts happening when you open up that Tulsa store, we definitely want to have you back on to talk about your success. Absolutely. Anytime. Yeah. We need to get to, we need well, to get to a thunder game when we get back going too. Yeah. Uh, hopefully sooner than later, man. Hopefully it's not, hopefully <laughs> it's not our, our record's not O and O when it starts. Hopefully not. Well, Hey Juan, thank you so much for coming hey, on today, man. You guys. Later, man. Hey, you guys have a good one. Main Keller, I had no idea that KD was your favorite basketball player. You know, Josh, like I said, I got big into basketball right around, you know, my freshman, freshman sophomore year. KD was here in, in Oklahoma. I mean, we had the same initials. It was, it was destiny. KD to KD. Well, uh, you know, we're going to get to talk about him coming up next in this segment with the 2K tournament that we're going to give you a quick recap on. Uh, KD didn't do too well in his first matchup. He had the one seed and he, he got upset by the 16 seed and Derek Jones Jr. You know, Josh, and that's the that's the theme I think we're going to continue to see in this tournament is that the younger players are upsetting the the older guys. Big surprise, the younger players play more video games. Yeah, and they're a lot more accustomed to this kind of video game too. You know, we've done it. We've made tournaments with our friends and to see who's the best. I, you know, I know that for a, for a period we even did uh, drafts where we made our own teams and we had tournaments competing against one another, and that's just the theme of, you know, the younger generation. We play more video games. We're better. Yeah, you know, and this is the first, obviously the first time this has happened um, due to the circumstances of having the season canceled and no other sports on TV. But I think um, the biggest loser in all this is actually Ronnie 2K and 2K, Um, not only for showing and showcasing a lot of the uh, glaring mistakes still in the 2K game and the gameplay, Katie was – complaining the whole game about the transition defense. But also, um, Ronnie's matchmaking skills, I'm not sure why he picked a lot of these players to compete in this tournament. Um, when there are a lot of other younger players that 
not only the fans would have been a lot more engaged to see like Victor Oladipo instead of a Sabonis, um, but just would have been better at 2K. It would have been more competitive games. Yeah, they definitely, uh, you know, I, I definitely questioned the seeding going into this tournament because I feel like the seed, the seeding was definitely uh, incorrect. I think that it does give us a, a unique opportunity to see inside some of the players that, you know, aren't normally in front of the camera, like Sabonis, making fun of himself and playing the games that we are. And the first round is the first round, just like it is in even the NCAA tournament. There are upsets every now and then, but for the most part, you can – uh, you, you know who's going to win those games usually aren't competitive now that we're moving deeper into the tournament I think that from here on out these games will more than likely start to be more competitive more trash talking will ensue I'm here for it yeah I think I think you made a good point it's talking about the NCAA there but I mean with the with the NCAA tournament you still have to make the tournament and I think moving forward if they're going to continue this tournament um, in future years maybe throughout the summer throughout different periods of the year where this could where this could dominate a TV setting like, like it is now. Um, I think maybe doing a team tournament first and the winner of each team. I think doing that would be that – would, that would provide the most entertaining games from first round to the finals. Yeah, that's a, that's a unique way to do it. The best person from each team go to compete. I actually like that idea quite a bit. Uh, you know, maybe you should look at taking Ronnie's job. Well, Josh, I'm angling for it. So, 2K, if you're out there, you know my email. You charge me every month. 